Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, good morning. As the uh, number of new coronavirus infections uh, falls precipitously in Canada, similar phenomenon unfolding uh, around the world, uh, there are a lot of folks scratching their heads, right? They want to better understand why COVID-19 cases are plummeting and why they are plummeting right now. And experts are pointing to stronger public health measures, stricter adherence to um, rules maybe born out of the fear of fast spreading variants, natural uh, seasonality maybe of coronavirus. You know, frankly, it's really cold uh, in lots of places that might be playing a part. So in um, in countries with relatively high rates of vaccination and infection, such as the United States and Britain, it's possible that immunity is actually beginning to slowly spread. So in the past six weeks, the number of new coronavirus infections reported around the world has dropped by nearly, brace yourself, half, half from 5 million reported cases the first week of January to 2.7 million last week. So worldwide, there's an overall daily case tally that's the lowest that it's been since October, and that is all according to the World Health Organization. So let us be uh, praising, praising God in the midst of um, some good news related to the number of reported coronavirus cases around the world. Let us cheer the efforts of those um, who are working on the front lines. Let us pray continually for those who are struggling, not only um, in the midst of the pandemic, but the millions struggling in the midst of severe winter weather, a recognition that... Um, Life is fragile and brief. I know many, many listeners um, paying tribute to recognizing the contribution of the life of both the singer Carmen and the radio talk show host Rush Limbaugh upon the news um, of each of their deaths. And regardless of your viewpoint in terms of politics, there could be no debate uh, of the contribution that Rush Limbaugh made to the conversation in this country and the extraordinary elevation of talk radio that took place um, largely on his coattails. And so we acknowledge that certainly as a part of uh, the talk radio community. Today is the second day of Lent. And so my where in the word question to you today uh, is going to take us to Psalm 51. Here are a few selected verses. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, 
So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Those are selected verses from Psalm 51. Where in the word are you on this second day of Lent? Next up, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. We'll be right back. My right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in freedom. All right, joining me now, Ben Johnson. He is at the Rights Writer on Twitter. He also posts at the Acton blog at Acton, A C T O N dot O R G. Ben, good morning. Good morning to you, Carmen. All right. Do you want to make any uh, comments about the passing of Rush Limbaugh? I know from time to time he was known to um, read your articles on air. Well, God bless him. Uh, he, he did. And, uh, you know, I was a new writer on the national scene at that time. And I missed every time that he did it personally. But uh, <laughs> I did hear a few of his guest hosts uh, read them as well. And uh, that was an incredible boost, you know, obviously for me and my confidence. Uh, but uh, as someone who grew up, Listening to radio and loving radio, uh, I, I pretended I was a disc jockey starting at the age of about four or five. Uh, I think anyone who's in radio owes some portion of their audience, if you're in talk radio, to Rush Limbaugh and his popularity and what he did for the genre, which you spoke about very capably. So uh, as you said, whether you agree with him all the time or disagree with him, he was a pioneer, he was uh, an entrepreneur, and uh, he was the best at what he did. All right, so we will uh, we will seek to do well uh, to honor God, and on this day, in terms of talk radio, to um, to honor one who paved the paved the way um, admirably. Um, so, all right, stimulus wars, the earmarks strike back. First of all, I just um, I just have to say I kind of like that title. I kind of like the 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 play there on the words. Talk with us about what's going on here. That was a beautiful play on words. And, you know, the good news is that uh, Congress is going to get saved. Now, the bad news is it's not what we think of. There's one congressman who compared pork barrel spending to eternal salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Missouri Democratic Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, you remember him from the Amen and a Woman fame. He told NPR recently that earmarks used to help Republicans and Democrats cut backroom deals and grease the skids to get their own spending over the finish line. You know, if you had a project you wanted completed, but you knew you couldn't really get it across uh, and you couldn't get enough votes for it unless you paired up with someone else who had a similar project and you would make a deal, you would each vote for one another's project or you would attach it to a huge bill. And then the Democratic leadership or the Republican leadership would lean on people and tell them you have to pass this. And if you vote for this bill, we'll make sure that you get your project in. Cleaver's exact words were that meetings where they haggled over these kind of vote-swapping pork barrel projects 
And I quote, used to be a time where everybody was hallelujah. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, dancing, kissing. This was the time to be saved. Now, not only is that blasphemous, but anyone who's ever watched the congressional appropriations process knows savings is the last thing that's going on in the process. So earmarks, as you mentioned, are striking back. They're coming back. They were banned in 2010 and 11 when uh, Republicans took back the Congress. And uh, now that uh, uh, Democrats control both chambers in uh, the Senate and the House, as well as the presidency, the uh, chairs of the two appropriations committees, Pat Leahy in the Senate and uh, Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut in the House, have said they want to make a pact. They're going to bring salvation back. Uh, so uh, we, we're going to have earmarks once again. Now, they used to be called earmarks. At one time, they were called pork barrel spending. The new term is community-focused grant programs which is therapeutic-sounding language to hide what it is. A skunk by any other name would smell just as foul. Uh, earmarks are bad because they bloat the budget. They convince people or bribe people to vote for bigger, more wasteful spending bills. They benefit big campaign donors. They're virtually all unconstitutional. And it's a great way to try and bribe voters with their own money. Uh, but you end up with these ridiculous, indefensible bills, like $3.4 million to build a tunnel for turtles to avoid being hit by traffic, $15,000 to study the motor functions of drunken mice, which, by the way, as a spoiler, they don't get better when they're drunk. Uh, some of these are funny, but some of them are really very serious, like uh, the former Republican uh, Congressman Duke Cunningham ended up getting eight years in prison because he took $2 million in kickbacks for steering federal funds to defense contractors. So bribery, for those of us who are believers, this is really where the word comes into, uh, into alignment with what's happening today. Bribery is one of the very few political sins condemned consistently by the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. You're reading from the Psalm. Psalm 26 talks about the holy man saying, I will wash my hands in innocence and compass thine altar, O Lord. He goes on to say, it won't be like wicked men whose hands are full of iniquities and their right hand are full of bribes. So bribery has been a consistent problem in the administration of justice. Earmarks are just the most transparent kind of bribery. And so uh, they're coming back as bad news. To modern congressmen, I'd say, wash your hands in innocence. Wash your hands of this scheme. And part of the challenge, um, Ben, right, is that there are those who really very much want um, Congress to pass these kinds of um, very dedicated financial streams because it's to their benefit or the benefit of um, particular groups of people or constituencies. And so, you know, I think that as those who not only are seeking to hold members of, of Congress accountable, you know, where we would say to our members of Congress, you know, do not let your hands um, be dirtied in this way, we also need to be people who say um, – like, I don't I don't even want that in my own community. I don't want what that's going to buy us because of what it's going to cost us. And and I think there's some responsibility there um, that we bear as well. Like we we're party to it when we celebrate that, um, you know, that our community or our city or our special interest group benefited in some way for some from some congressional pork. That's very insightful, as always. This is a bipartisan problem. I, I want to make that very mm -hmm. clear. This, mm -hmm. There is more than enough blame in every every sector of every party that's in Washington. And as you say, ultimately, whatever's going on in Washington reflects on we the people. Uh, yet for a long time, the most certain way to assure that you got reelected was to have a, a regular press release saying, I'm bringing home money from Washington. 
Yeah, bringing home the bacon. From, there you go. Yeah, bringing home where the it bacon. All comes of course, from. Yeah. It, but you know, ultimately, it comes from you. It goes to Washington, and you get part of it back, and uh, you think that you got something new. It's like daylight savings time. You don't actually get anything new. It's just rearranged, and actually, uh, the bureaucrats end up taking their portion out of it. So you get less than what you would have had otherwise. All right, Ben, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, I want to talk with you about something I read out of the Star Tribune. Here's the headline, Minneapolis Mosque says park board's refusal to sell land for parking infringes on religious liberty. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Ben, um, there is a headline uh, in the Star Tribune, but you got to read all the way to the end of the article to really understand what's going on here. Um, brief us in on the situation related to um, a cultural center in northeast Minneapolis uh, that says they are being racially and religiously uh, discriminated against because the Minneapolis Park and Recreation Board will not pave over green space in order that they can have uh, free parking. Yeah, it's a very tricky story, as you said. There are a lot of details, and in some cases, they're literally the next to the last paragraph or the last paragraph in the story. But it's uh, the Mashid Salam Cultural Center, as you mentioned, in Minneapolis. Uh, their cultural center, their mosque, uh, is open every day of the week. Uh, there's been a tremendous growth in the Islamic population in Minneapolis, both through immigration and organically. And so they have more members than usual, but they have no parking lot. Uh, you either have to park a long way away or you have to get out in the middle of traffic and then walk over. So what they're asking for, their, their mosque is abutted by parkland. And so they're, they're asking if the city would, as you say, pave over part of this so that they can have a parking lot. And there have been various proposals to do that. They've even made an offer that they would either buy the land next to them or they would buy an equal adjacent uh, plot of land so that there would be an equal amount of greenery throughout the city uh, if, if the city would, would pave over this part of the green land next to them so that they could have a place to park. The city has consistently said no to this. Uh, the Minneapolis Star Tribune, bless their hearts, they've tried to make this a story of two equal competing rights. They wrote, and I quote, the conflict pits assertions of religious liberty against the sanctity of public parkland. Now, Parks and Recs is a sitcom. It's not a right, much less is it a path to sanctity. So religious liberty wow. is a bona fide constitutional right. So for, for those who, who weren't uh, conversant with that fact, right? So uh, now the issue here is that uh, initially it sounded like discrimination. In fact, the uh, Council on American Islamic Relations, our friends over there, threatened to sue if something isn't done. Uh, and it brings to light a very important fact, which is to deny you your First Amendment right to religious expression. Politicians don't have to pass a decree banning you from worship, you know, like a Babylonian king or a governor under COVID-19. All they have to do is make it impracticable for believers to actually exercise their right by making it hard to get to your sacred space. So that's a valid point. But the idea of discrimination is, is a little too clever by half here. Uh, as, as you mentioned, if you read all the way to the end uh, of the article, it mentions that, uh, first of all, there, there may be some legal issues as to why they can't do this. Second of all, that uh, there were two churches that owned this building before uh, the mosque took it over, and the city wouldn't do anything for them either. Now, I think this may very easily be across the board anti-religious discrimination, uh, and I think that there could be a case there. But uh, the idea that they're singling them out because they're a minority and because they are Islamic, 
uh, I think is untenable. In fact, a councilman for the area named Chris Meyer wants to abolish all parking. Uh, if he could, he'd do away with private cars, he said. But uh, it, his quotation at the very end of the article says, if this was a group of rich white people who had asked, it would have been much easier for me to just say no. It's because I want to be welcoming to everyone in our city, and I know there's a lot of prejudice against Muslims, that I've considered this at all. So uh, if, if anything, it's actually to their favor that they happen to be a part of this particular religion, uh, as opposed to, say, uh, Lutherans or some other uh, majority uh, uh, religion in that area that's uh, a bit more populous. But uh, nonetheless... Uh, this this is a real issue throughout, uh, as we've talked about, where you have where you have uh, zoning issues because cities want to keep in the most profitable use possible, and particularly where you have environmental uh, issues such as this. Uh, often there's a there's a presupposition against any kind of development, but especially religious development. So it's it's a real problem, and uh, one where generally I, I think that uh, we would be somewhat more sympathetic to the mosque. Okay, I have, a, I have listeners um, suggesting that the bumper music, as we leave this, should be Pave Paradise, Put Up a Parking Lot. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, our listeners are on this morning. They're, they're up, they're at them. I don't know what they're doing, but they're at least, uh, they're at least contributing their input, which I genuinely appreciate. Um, ben, one of the things that occurs to me, and again, this is not an issue that is resolved, but if you live in... Uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities, this might be something that is of interest to you. There is a very um, high cost to providing single-space parking uh, of the variety that is being uh, demanded here in this particular case. Uh, I have been uh, on the staff of uh, a downtown church uh, in Orlando, Florida, for a period of time. And um, <clears throat> the solution there, there was there was no downtown parking. Uh, big church grew over time from 150 to 5,000 congregants. You know, we needed spaces for people to park. Uh, and the ultimate solution was to partner with the city and to pay to construct a parking garage on land they owned that then the city uh, uses and Orange County now uses um, during the days of the week. And the church has access to the evenings and the weekend. Um, to the full parking structure, so there are some um, there are some ways that you can work with a city government um, or a county government to achieve your ends. But you may have to be the one that forks over the cash to actually construct um, parking, and you may have to buy land upon which to do it. That would have been the solution at my home church in Tampa, which was completely uh, landlocked, had a tiny little parking lot. And eventually, over the course of it took like a generation to eventually buy the adjacent residential properties and go through the very long process of um, uh, of having those properties converted into what would be appropriate for parking um, and had to build a, you know, a very, very beautiful parking structure that looks very much like the church in order to accommodate that. So um, if you if you want parking next to your adjacent to your church or your religious facility you may it may take a very long time and it may cost you um you know a relative fortune but it's not because of the variety of religion you practice it's because the people who own the property adjacent to you or the city um or the people who live in that city you know frankly aren't particularly religious there's a reason people are having to drive to your location and that's because they're not walking there i mean is that fair as well that's very good. And, you know, this is one thing that uh, people in Minneapolis may want to think about. If they want urban renewal, 
churches, mosques, synagogues, they all bring up the value of the community around them. And the alternative, if you're not willing to work with a, a group of believers on some kind of an accommodation, is that they'll have to go to a suburb. They'll have to leave downtown, and then you have an empty building and uh, even even greater issues that way. So so uh, this is something where, as you say, there are, there are solutions, but you, you have a very difficult path. Either you have to leave the city altogether, go out into the suburbs like so many have done, or stay there and do the long, hard work of trying to buy up adjacent properties work with people, go through the zoning and uh, ordinance and uh, all of the processes and licensures that you have to go through in order to get uh, the permits necessary to construct a viable presence downtown. But ultimately, if uh, God is with you, God will bless what you're doing. Um, and just of note, to those of you who, um, you know, who wish that uh, maybe there were a church and, um, and not a mosque on that particular location, this facility was a church uh, by two prior affiliations and was uh, eventually sold to those who turned it into uh, a, a Muslim facility. So there you go. All right, Ben, we got to leave it right there. I am uh, I'm up on a hard break. As always, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate what you're doing each and every day at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. All right, uh, Lecrae is an internationally well-known and respected musician. He's also uh, a brother in Christ and a, a, a man who speaks into our cultural moment in many, many ways. Uh, but this project, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith, is a deeply personal um, look by Lecrae into his own life. And uh, I invite you into this conversation up next. I've got Lecrae. We'll be right back. I once had a teenager tell me, my parents held me to high standards so they'd look good, not because it was good for me. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's tragic that some parents place more value on looking good at the cost of actually being good moms and dads. And when that happens, the world may applaud them. But let me warn you, your teen can sniff out a phony parent a mile away. They know when you're performing for the crowd instead of investing in the family. Hey, if you're afraid your kids' mistakes will be an embarrassment to your reputation, you should probably sit down and examine your motivations. Let yourself be the imperfect but authentic parent your kids need. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. God, I feel dead inside. feel like suicide. Gone too far to turn back. He said, boy, you telling lies. It's deep inside the trenches of the devil's lair. They say, how you get about? I just said a prayer. Thrilled to be joined today by Lecrae. Not a lot of people in the culture can just go by one name, but uh, but he can. And we've had him on before. It's a joy to have him back. We're going to talk about his brand new project, a book entitled I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith. And I want to really encourage you to go to Lecrae, L-E-C-R-A-E dot com backslash restored and listen to Lecrae read chapter one to you for free. So we'll start off um, with that. Go to Lecrae 
com backslash restored. We're going to talk about the book, I Am Restored. Lecrae, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So I thoroughly enjoyed not just reading the book, but then listening to you read chapter one. When you can hear someone read in their own voice, I do think you hear it. You hear it in a way and a little bit more deeply than when you're just reading it. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Let me just let you introduce this project, um, because you could have just stopped writing with the book that's prior to this, Unashamed. And instead, um, this book sort of demanded, it sort of demanded uh, to be written based on your own life experience. So could you just talk about that? Yeah, um, I'm restored um, how I lost my religion but found my faith, I think was um, necessary because uh, oftentimes we kind of look at our life after we've ascended the hill and climbed the mountain or, you know, found the Lord um, as like, that's it. And and we walk off into the sunset, not realizing that, you know, um, it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Life is a marathon and that there's still more things that come our way. And um, I had reached the pinnacle of, you know, celebrity and, number one albums, Grammy Awards, and um, and I had God. But at the same time, there were still some internal uh, battles that hadn't been fought. And uh, those things really began to, uh, to, to challenge me. And so I wanted to address them and help other people through some of the, the wounds and trials that I faced. This is... Um, this is about as real uh, and direct a conversation uh, in the context of a book uh, that I've that I've ever encountered um, and your willingness to talk about the difference between what you know people were seeing and hearing on the outside or experiencing on you know on the outside of Lecrae versus what you were experiencing on the inside um, man that is that's so authentic to everyone's lived experience um, your your willingness as a person who would easily be recognized as a celebrity Christian, and then to be able to say, "Hey, that's a that's a challenging place to live for a lot of reasons, not least of which there's stuff that's not dealt with already." Um, and and then you're in the public eye, and how do you create the space and and the liberty to deal with those things that you need to deal with as a Christian who's still who's still growing and has uh, unresolved trauma when everybody is looking to you as the, hey, that's, you know, that's what my life is supposed to be like when I make it as a celebrity Christian. So I just, I just wanted to make those observations and then allow you to really just share with people um, the reality of melancholy and depression and unresolved trauma um, and the hope that you found on the other side of it. Well, you know, oftentimes, circumstances that happen in our past trauma, um, we can think that because we're not thinking about them anymore or having to experience those things that they've somehow dissipated or disappeared. When the reality is, you know, those are wounds that continue bleeding unless you take the uh, initiative to find healing for them. And, you know, I let a lot of those wounds just bleed and bleed and bleed throughout my whole life. Unfortunately, you try to find ways to cope. And for me, success was a coping mechanism, um, just be, become more successful. But when I was challenged with um, 
people not agreeing with me and people not wanting to support me, then I, I had to deal with who who was I really and what I was I still willing to stand on my, my convictions and my beliefs when no one uh, supported me. And that was challenging for a kid who grew up with no affirmation, uh, who didn't have their father, who experienced a lot of physical abuse, uh, molestation. Um, I, I didn't have a well to draw from in terms of standing firm in solidarity without the affirmation of other people. And so uh, there was a, a lot of identity issues that I wrestled with um, that drove me to a, a, a very dark place, a place of, of uh, deep depression and um, severe anxiety. And, uh, and of course, um, I took it upon myself to self-medicate instead of seeking help, uh, which led to more spiraling down. And so it was a, it was a tough place. Uh, the book is a book that is real and it is very accessible. It's not exceptionally long. It's very straightforward. The book is I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith. Lecrae is the author. I highly recommend you visit uh, his website, lecrae.com backslash restored and listen to him read chapter one to you for free uh, while you're waiting on your copy to arrive. This is also a book of resounding hope. Um, I was going to turn to the page where you chronicle the conversation with your son where, you know, he comes right out and says to you, you know, that, that he wants to be like you. That's a that's a pretty significant experiential shift that takes place in your life, it seems to me. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was massive uh, because when you have to take the time to reflect on who you are and you have to reconstruct you know, your sense of identity, your faith, your sense of, of purpose and value, it reaps endless rewards. Uh, most of us don't take the time to, to really focus on healing and dealing with ourselves and, and the things in our closet. And, um, and I took the time to do that. And I took the time to, to enter that process of healing and found incomparable restoration. It's not overnight. It's not a transactional experience. It's a relational one that, that takes time. Um, but you start to see the fruit of it similar to working out uh, or, or, you know, losing weight. You don't just look in the mirror on Monday and see you're overweight. And then all of a sudden on Friday, you, you're the figure that you've always wanted to be. It's like little by little pieces start falling off. And, you know, other people recognize it, but you may not, that you're a different person. And uh, my son was was a definitely a marker, a milestone when him telling me he wanted to be like me. And I'm thinking, wow, you want to be like the me that I am now, not the me that I was when, you know, I had all the accolades and the awards and so on and so forth. You want to be like this whole person that's able to, to navigate life's issues soberly. Yeah. And those are the people who see it, right? The people inside the house. Hey, Lecrae and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. The book is I Am Restored. I'm going to recommend you visit his website, lecrae.com, where you can hear him read the first chapter of Restored to you, um, as well as connect with uh, some other great resources and materials. Lecrae and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Lecrae, we are talking about his brand new book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion But Found My Faith. Um, Lecrae, I'd love to turn and read, uh, actually have you read, if you've got the book in front of you, I'd love to have you read the first paragraph on page 169. I realize it's very close to the end of the book, 
Um, but I think that in terms of where we arrive in our conversation, when you hear an author read their own work in their own voice, I got to tell you, it draws you in and then you can hear them reading the rest of it to you as you read it yourself. So uh, from page 169, uh, the paragraph that is headed a global viewpoint. Jesus was not American. He didn't come waving an American flag or to set up a regime of patriotic nationalism. He came to introduce a new way of living through his kingdom. We need to understand both Jesus and the scriptures in their context. Context protects us from believing that the Western evangelicalism and our theological tribes have a monopoly on the gospel message. I knew that in my head before, but now I believe it in my heart. I don't have to serve the Western construct of faith or the American church's priority of what it tells me is most important. I don't have to listen to the same people just because they are marked safe by tribal onlookers. Listening to fellow black Christian thinkers and theologians has changed my life, but many of them are often dismissed because we would rather stay in our comfortable categories. So, Lecrae, I wanted to have you um, read that paragraph because we arrive at a place in the in the conversation of the book where you are helping us see the bigness of the kingdom and the gospel, the size of it, the scope of it, the breadth of it. The book is really intensely personal and deeply intimate in terms of your own lived experience and inviting other people to deal at a very deep and personal level with, you know, with their history, with their stuff. And yet you arrive at a place that was unsurprising to me because I'm aware of your of your activism, um, but might be surprising to other people. There is this outward focus that is developed in the heart of the gospel. And I'd just like for you to reflect on that with people, that there is this deeply personal, intimate restoration that you've experienced. And then that is lived in a very outward gospel interested way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, it's very difficult, you know, for a fish to know it's wet. And uh, oftentimes we're so drenched in our cultural idealism or, or tribalism that we don't see the vastness of the world, the dry land, the sky, the air, the trees. We just know what we're swimming in. And the Christian faith is is ancient and it's global. And I think oftentimes we forget that. Um, we've limited it to our Western perspective. And we know what is good and right based off of different individuals that we've set up as gatekeepers. And I, I think that we limit the, the reach and the power and the, the, the immense greatness of, of love uh, that wants to pour itself out from the truth of the scriptures uh, when we keep it confined to our own uh, limited understanding. So who are you um, reading and watching and listening to right now? Because you talk about black theologians, you talk about who has your interest and attention. Who are some of those people? Yeah, well, you know, it's not to say that there's, you know, one group that, that has it down. It's to say that let's expand our palate. Let's mm. begin to listen to other people outside of kind of the, those those people that we've collected as solid or or right thinkers. Um, I love uh, Vincent Bantu right now. Um, mm -hmm. He's got a book called The Multitude of Peoples that's phenomenal. 
I've enjoyed um, a book that I read uh, called The Lost History of, of Christianity, where you have to navigate Asia and, and you know, the Middle East and Africa, uh, the church history there, because oftentimes we don't realize and recognize that there's a church history that exists in those places that, you know, predates uh, European and Western church history. And so those are some you know, just a couple of people um, for current processing and thinking. I love Emerson's Divided by Faith. Um, it's mm. been very helpful uh, to navigate what we're seeing uh, right now. Um, Esau Macaulay's Reading While Black is also another phenomenal book that just challenges uh, uh, perspectives and worldviews. And so those are just a handful of, of thinkers and, and, um, and authors that I, I greatly appreciate and that have challenged a lot of my thinking. And I, I, I hope to continue finding other people to challenge my thought process. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Lecrae, Restoration is, well, your lived experience. The book is I Am Restored. But there's also um, there's also a, a sung and vocalized side to this. Um, Restoration is also an album. Yeah, what we wanted to do is we wanted to make this an all-encompassing ecosystem and experience. And so obviously the book is uh, far more cerebral, but then there's an album that gives you an auditory experience of what you have read. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's a visual called My Road to Restoration that's uh, on YouTube, a four-part series. And I, I just wanted people to, to be able to absorb the ecosystem. Um, all of them are complementary to each other, so it's not the same information um, in each product. They they complement each other. It's like a meal. Uh, so they're, they're, they're pairings um, that are best experienced with one another. And so the album um, obviously will have a greater impact if you've you know, enjoyed the book as well. All right. So that leads me uh, then that teased me up for one final question. If we were sharing a meal together, where would we be eating and what would you be ordering? Ooh, I love this this restaurant in Atlanta called Marcel. It has a wide variety of, of different offerings, but I'm definitely like a, I'm a meat guy. So, you know, I love a, a good cut of meat and um I, I love to go to Marcel with a group of friends and then we just we just share different people order different cuts and we kind of share it. Um, obviously, it's COVID, so it's a little bit different now, uh, that type of experience. Uh, but they also just have this phenomenal bread that uh, they bring out before the meal. And I, I, I don't think I've ever had anything quite as amazing as this bread It's mesmerizing. So that would be my recommendation. All right. I love it. Um, look, Ray, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for opening your story and your heart and your experience in the book. I am restored obviously for continuing to share with us your, your immense musical talent. Um, thank you for all the other things that you're doing. Um, not only in Atlanta, but across the country in helping us to have the conversations that we need to be having and do the hard work that we need to be doing in terms of, uh, of the racial conversations in the country, um, the justice conversations. I genuinely uh, appreciate each and every one of the ways that you are using the platform that God has given you to really advance his kingdom purposes in this generation. So um, thank you for each and all of that. And um, should, should God ever provide the opportunity, I look forward to having Christ be made known in the breaking of the bread together at Marcel. I appreciate that. I look forward right. to it. All thank right. you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's Lecrae. You can find him at lecrae.com. The project is I Am Restored. 
You can listen to him read chapter one to you there at lecrae.com. And we'll be right back. So in a little uh, follow-up back and forth, um, one of the things that uh, I want to tee up to talk about, and I have not yet watched it, and so um, I'm just going to commit to you here that I'm going to watch it in the next couple of days so that we can talk about it, and that is the PBS series, The Black Church. I've got a lot of friends across the country um, who are commenting on it, uh, live tweeting when it's on air, when new episodes drop. I'm wondering if you have seen it already. If so, love to hear your feedback about it. You can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. So have you seen the new PBS series, any part of it? Uh, It's called The Black Church. Um, Are you streaming it? Uh, What are you you learning about us as Christians in America? What are you learning about African-American faith and practice? Certainly, Pew Research Pew Research finding that more African Americans attend church than other segments of the American population, and uh, and more often and more regularly than do uh, than does the general population writ large, um, and do so in almost exclusively black environments. And so there are conversations to be had here about what we need to be learning from one another as Christians um, who are continuing to worship in largely segregated ways. Does that matter? Is it important? Um, what does it look like to uh, to be in a genuinely integrated uh, congregation? If you are in a genuinely integrated congregation, I'd love to hear from you as well. Send me an email, carmen at myfaithradio.com. A number of listeners chiming in on a number of things today on the text line. You can do so as well. You can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Peter Kapsner is going to join me. I joined uh, Peter in his uh, hour that he spends with Bill Arnold each week. So my husband Jim and I joined Bill Arnold last evening at 5 o'clock. If you want to go listen to our conversation on Afternoons with Bill, you can do so uh, via the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Peter Kapsner is going to join me at the leadoff of the next hour. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.